Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is best-selling author Nick Petrie, author of the new novel, The Runaway, the latest novel in his Peter Ash series. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your new novel, The Runaway, how would you describe the novel? Well, let's, I'll give you my, my short pitch here is on a, a gravel road in a remote, remote corner of rural Nebraska, Marine Corps veteran Peter Ash meets a young woman named Helene. Uh, her car has broken down. She's extremely pregnant and she's trying to escape from her husband, a former police officer and a bad, bad man. Uh, Peter offers to help, but things don't go well for either of them. It's a story of sex obsession and murder, but also of the strength and resilience to do whatever is necessary to survive. That's great. Well, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write this latest Peter Ash novel, The Runaway? I do. I I always give myself kind of an assignment for every book um, as a way to sort of uh, kind of focus uh, sort of the idea making process. And so the assignment for this was to uh, tell kind of a smaller and more personal story that I have told before. Um, some some of my earlier books have pretty large consequences, and I, I wanted uh, what was at stake here to be um, not just one person's life, but in a way, her very soul. So there's an intimacy here. Um, so so that was one that was one piece of it, and then I really just began thinking about uh, sort of coming up with characters, and and Helene, uh, who is this young woman is sort of showed up and, and started talking to me and her, you know, her, her voice and the, the problems I'd given her, um, were really compelling. Um, she, she was interesting to me and she just kept, she just kept talking and I, I kept sort of thinking, well, I'll, that's enough of her. I'll do, you know, she doesn't need to have a, you know, she'll, it, it'll be a cameo. It'll be a couple of chapters. And, and then it was a couple more chapters and it was a couple more chapters until, um, the, the structure of this book and the, the size of her role was re- something different than, than I'd ever done before. Um, and I was actually really nervous about, about <laughs> turning it in because it was, it, it felt to me so different, but it doesn't feel radically different to anybody else, which I think is, is, uh, is, is I'm, I'm glad it feels like it's part of the series. Um, but as a writer, it was a very different process than how I normally work. And I'm, I'm curious, what, was there any feedback along the way that, that, you know, maybe this is a little bit too different? No, I, my relationship with my publisher is very hands off. Um, they're, you know, they, they liked this, the first book and they said, well, we'd like you to write another one. And what do you think that's about? And I, (laughs) I, I gave them a couple of sentences. I, you know, sort of, here's my assignment. Um, my assignment for the second book was Peter falls in love and it's about, it's about, uh, emerging technology. And, and that was really all they heard until I turned the book in. And that's the book that, uh, became burning bright. Um, and that's kind of how it's gone. Uh, every book along the way that my editor sort of said, so what are you, you know, what are you interested in this time? Um, and in in some cases I, I tell them that the book is about one thing and the book turns out to be entirely different um just because i got i got stuck or the book evolved um but they're you know i I am really lucky in that i don't have to submit a synopsis or multiple chapters 
I, there's not a lot of check-in along the way. I'm welcome to do that if I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're not looking over my shoulder, um, sure. particularly, which I'm, I'm grateful for. So can you tell us about your initial writing journey that led you to writing and getting your first novel published? Sure. Uh, it, it was a, it was a long path. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I started writing fiction in high school. Uh, I, I took a, uh, a college level and an entry level college creative writing class my senior year in high school. And, and I was also writing for the school paper and my senior year, I wrote an, an eight part, uh, kind of a soap opera, um, essentially based on uh, my, my thinly veiled versions of my friends and enemies. Um, and, and I got, you know, people would stop me in the hallway to say, Hey, that was really funny. Or, Oh, I really, I really like that. Um, and I really, I really, uh, I realized how wonderful it was to have an audience. And I've been reading forever. I, I read a book a day through, through most of high school. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I'm still a huge, huge reader. And I think that's how most writers, uh, sort of fall into this is we, we fall in love with reading and then we say, well, what if we could do that ourselves? So I, 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 um, I, my undergraduate degree is in, uh, a double degree in creative writing and in American culture. I have a master's in fine arts and creative writing. Um, but I made my living for many years as a carpenter and a renovation contractor. And then as a building inspector, all the while writing stories and eventually writing novels. I wrote three novels. I couldn't get published, um, before I finally wrote the book that became The Drifter, my first published novel. And that book was nominated for six awards and won three. So, um, you know, the, the, the ongoing advice I give anybody who is interested in, in writing is uh, persistence is mandatory. And so you mentioned this book a day when you were in high school. Do you remember some of the uh, writers that stood out that you were reading at that time? Oh, sure. I, I mean, I, I started out reading... Um, science fiction and mysteries. Uh, I mean, when I was, when I was, uh, much younger, you know, I read, uh, I don't know if you ever read the doc Savage series, uh, total pulp. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I loved them. Yeah. <laughs> totally pulp stuff. Um, you know, Tom Swift and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I, I was an early reader and, a and a big reader. So I was reading adult fiction in, in, uh, you know, middle school. So I was reading, you know, Robert Heinlein and, and Robert Parker. Well, no, actually that was, no, that was post Robert Parker. Uh, and my, my parents are big readers and my parents are big mystery readers as well. Um, so I was pulling stuff from their, from their shelves at home and going to the library and saying, Hey, I really like this. Um, there's a period in high school when, um, I would tell my parents I was sort of going to be gone for the day. This was back when, you know, kids didn't really tell their parents where they were going <laughs> apparently. And, and I would hop on the bus and I would go to downtown uh, Milwaukee, which was not a particularly savory place to be. Um, but the, the big public library is down on Wisconsin Avenue and a couple blocks away, there were three used bookstores. So I would, you know, take my lawn mowing money and I would, and my, and a backpack and I would go load up on, you know, 25 cent paperbacks. Um, and I would, you know, get to school early and, and, you know, sit by my locker and read in the morning and I would read during class and, and I would read at lunch and, you know, what we would all go to the basketball game or the football game. And I would read during the basketball game or the football game because I'm not a big sports fan, <laughs> but I still wanted to be with my friends. And so that was what I did to entertain myself. Um, but it, you know, there is a certain obsessive nature to, to, uh, 
you know, serious readers. Uh, and I definitely uh, have been one. Um, but you know, to me, it's, it really is. I mean, I, the, the, I mean, readers reach out to me or they ask questions at, at events and they all want to know about how do you get published? Uh, and I, that's, that's totally valid. And I think that's a, that's a worthwhile question to ask, but to me, the answer is, is you need to get really good at writing that you need to, you need to learn how to tell a story and it takes a long time. There are some people who are naturals, right? People who got published very early. Uh, Michael Carita got published before he was out of college. Um, uh, Greg Hurwitz was the same, those, those two bastards, uh, and, and have written, you know, they, they, I don't know, they're, they're both younger than me and they've, they've written three or four times more, more, more books than I have. Um, so there are some naturals out there, but for the rest of us, it, it, it really is, you have to learn the craft and it takes a while. And I think focusing for me, focusing on the publishing piece was not helpful. I needed to focus on, on learning how to, how to tell a story and learning how to write a sentence. And, and once you write something that's, that's good, you know, people will be climbing over themselves and over each other to, to, to publish you. The, the publishing world is, is dying for the next big writer and the next big book. Um, so all you have to do is just write that. And so I'm curious along the way, what were there steps or stages or particular particular epiphanies that you had in terms of learning how to tell that story on the page? You know, I think for me, the biggest, and I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't start out thinking of myself as a crime writer. I, I wanted to, you know, in high school, you know, I wanted to be Ernest Hemingway and in, in college, I wanted to be Jim Harrison, uh, who's the, uh, you know, Michigan literary writer. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I wanted to be Cormac McCarthy. I read all the pretty horses after college and it just blew my mind. Um, and I think that, I think that book was really a turning point for me because, um, like it, it, it is beautiful and it's, it's, it's moving and it's meaning of life. Um, and it won the national book award. So I, I'm not big on the idea of, of literature versus Sure. You know, a regular novel, I, I, I sort of think that there are some are better than others. It's really, it's the only distinction that I make, but, but, uh, all the pretty horses is at bottom, it's a cowboy novel and that you could write a cowboy novel, right? Like Zane Gray or Louis Lemoore, <laughs> um, but better. And, and it, it, it was a light bulb for me that I could, I could write about the things that interested me. And try to do it as well as I possibly could. And to me, that was this moment where I, I just, it, A, it, that, that spectrum of writing became very clear to me. Right. Because I'd also read Louis L'Amour and I'd also read Zane Gray. Yeah. Um, and, and yes, there's a huge difference between, you know, the writers of the Purple Sage and all the pretty horses. Sure. Um, but, but at bottom, they're stories. At, and so it was, it was sort of a, it was like, I could do this and I could tell the kinds of stories that I want to tell and, and do it within a format and a, and a framework that, that spoke to me. And I could, the goal was just to do it as well as I possibly could. And, and I think that was sort of the, the moment for me where it's like, I sort of got it. I'm not quite sure exactly what I got, but, but it was a real eye opening moment for me. 
That's great. Well, what was your experience with the MFA program that you attended? It's a good question. Um, you know, again, I, I'm not sure they were super interested in writers like me. My, <laughs> my, uh, my, the, the, the first class I took, um, the, the professor who is a, a widely known, well-published, uh, literary, uh, memoirist and, uh, a novelist and uh, writer of criticism. Um, my my first the first piece I shared with the class in the workshop. Um, at the end, he said to me, "You know, you your your uh, kind of this kind of story is the kind of thing that people will actually read." <laughs> Except it, he didn't mean it as a compliment, right? It was like it yeah. was too close to popular fiction. And, and I just, I, I don't know. I, the, the thing that I got the most from that program was a feeling of self-recognition that I belonged in this group and that I had, I could tell a story as well as any of these people. And that I had a firmer grasp on the language and on character with anybody else in my course. Um, and that I, I was as productive and as dedicated as any of the people in that course. And actually I'm the, I'm the only person in the, in the, the course who is, who has published as, as much work. Um, I have a, a, a friend who's a poet. I have another friend who's written uh, a book about writing. Um, but you know, not many other people have gone on to do the kinds of things that I've done. And it was also a community where people cared about writing, where people cared about sentences and paragraphs and stories. And I think that was the thing that was really important is that a I felt like, like, uh, like I fit into this group, and that this group even existed. That I was not some weirdo freak reading like a madman. I mean, I I, I was and remained a weirdo freak reading like a madman, but, um, but that that I wasn't alone in that. And I think mm -hmm. that's a really powerful thing. Um, and it was back in the day when this was, uh, the university of Washington and it was a, it was a well thought of program and I still have friends from that program. Um, but, but you could, you could get an MFA for not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there wasn't a big downside for me with that. Right. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure I would advise somebody to go $40,000 in debt to get their MFA today. Gotcha. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. 
If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Well, you mentioned earlier persistence and also focusing on the writing versus the publishing in when you're first starting out. What other writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? Well, I think the, the the other thing that I that I did that really taught me a lot was um I would I would pick a novel that I really admired or that I thought did something really well that I wanted to understand. Um and this is actually how I learned to write short stories too. And with with, with stories I would I would read a story, I, I would I would I would buy a collection like the best American short stories or something. Um and I would read through until I I hit a story that really hit me that you know would work, would ring in me like a gong right mm-hmm. and and so you read it that one time and the first time you read you read for what happens and the second time you read you you start to read for uh, you know kind of the mechanics how does it how does the story put together how are the characters established and and to read through the third time you really begin to see all of the gears and the pinions of the machine that a story, a, a good short, short story really is. Um, and that was really how I learned how stories, how short stories work. And you can't really do that for a novel. I mean, you can, but it, it's, it's time consuming to read a novel three times through. So what I would do is I would, I would pick a novel. Uh, I, I mean, I just, I, I, again, I read pretty constantly. So, but I would pick a book that I really admired for, for one reason or another, or maybe it just kind of blew my socks off and you read once again for what happens. And then I would read through again and I would, I would make an outline. Um, and it's, you know, chapter one, who's the point of view, uh, kind of a, kind of what happens in that chapter, um, and how many pages it is. And you really can see some of the mechanics of how novels are assembled. Um, so I did that the, the, um, with a Michael Connolly book uh, years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was a great way to sort of see, you know, I, I didn't really understand how long you could keep a reader's attention. Like, like if, you, if you're changing point of views or you have, you have sort of subplots within, mm-hmm. how long can you go in terms of pages before you have to come back to that character or that subplot? To remind the to remind the, sure. the reader, um, and just like basic mechanical stuff like that, and, and mm-hmm. Michael Connolly is obviously you know <laughs> he's Michael Connolly, um, so it was a, it was a great kind of master class and how far you can you can pull that out, um, and and those are some of the lessons that I use to build the 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 complicated structure of the Runaway where we're back and forth in time, multiple uh, multiple character points of view. Um, and, and that's, I think, I think if, if you are an aspiring writer and, and, and you can certainly do it with short stories and it's easy and it's, it's fast to do with short stories, but to do it with a novel, I still do it once a year. 
um, where I, there's a book that I find and I spend, and I, and I read it. And then I spend a, a couple of afternoons reading again and outlining and you, you can learn so much. And so I think that's kind of the, you know, if, if you don't want to, you know, do an MFA program, you don't have the time or the money or the interest. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to learn to write. That's great. Are you working on a new novel now? I am. I'm working on uh, Peter Ash number eight. Um, I am not, as always, I am not as far along as I would like to be. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but that's sort of the nature of uh, of life. We actually uh, moved houses. We needed a, another bedroom because my wife is working at home as well as I am. And we were just all jammed in like sardines. So, you know, moving takes a, a certain amount of time and energy. And It does. Um, but uh, it, it's always a challenge. Well, you've talked about um, being a constant reader. What what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh my goodness! Recently, what have I read recently? Um, you know, the one that I'm thinking about a lot right now. I didn't read it recently, um, but I actually I think I'm going to go back and read. I think this is going to be my next uh, take apart book. Is uh, November Road by Lou Burney, uh, which was a big book a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and and it's a it's not a it's not a a monster size book, um, and it's very it's very lean. It's very different from from Lou's previous books, which were a little more kind of over the top. This mm-hmm. is very understated, and and the the lesson for me there is how does Lou do so much with so little? Sure. Um. So. Um, I don't know. That's something that I've been thinking about uh, as I think about sort of this 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 book that I'm working on. Um, you know, I can tell you the stuff I've got stacked up. Um, sure. You know, I've got the new Greg Hurwitz um, on deck. I've got uh, the new Chris Howdy on deck. Uh, I did just read Child Zero, which is Chris Holmes' new book, which is coming out I think in May, uh, and that's really quite remarkable, Chris wrote a, uh, an award-winning book called the killing kind among others. He's a, he's a super smart, interesting guy. Um, I really loved, uh, S.A. Cosby, Sean Cosby's, um, uh, I can never get the title right. Uh, Blacktop highway, blacktop. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at razor blade tears right now. Yes. Uh, and that's, that's, uh, I've got a couple of, uh, books for blurb. I've got to get through first, but that's going to be, um, uh, next on my list. That's great. Uh, uh, I'm reading the storytelling animal by Jonathan Gottschall, which is sort of about how human beings function with storytelling, which is super fascinating. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? Uh, nickpetrie.com is the easy way to go. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, a little less often on Instagram, but I'm trying to change that because Instagram is such a, a fun and friendly place to, to uh, be, but uh, I've also got a newsletter. You can sign up on my, um, on my website as well. Uh, and you'll get uh, not super frequent, but uh, hopefully interesting little tidbits, um, uh, in your inbox, if you're so inclined. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Nick Petrie, author of the new novel, the runaway, the latest novel in his Peter Ash series, the runaway is on sale now. So go buy a copy at your local independent bookstore. And Nick, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, thanks so much, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Great. Thanks a lot. 
Now stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of the previous Peter Ash novel by Nick Petrie, The Breaker, narrated by Stephen Mendel, available from PRH Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold. The flatbed Toyota was too big for tight city parking, so Peter and Lewis left it behind a gas station and walked up St. Paul and across the river toward the Milwaukee Public Market four blocks away. It was lunchtime on a blue-sky October day, and they were dirty and cheerful from a morning of demolition on a property Lewis owned in the city. Peter Ash was tall and bony in a faded gray T-shirt and double-front work pants torn at the knees, a blue-hooded sweatshirt slung over one shoulder. He hadn't cut his hair since a large animal veterinarian had shaved his head the year before, and it now hung in a dark surfer's shag streaked with premature gray. He didn't like dealing with all that hair, but it changed the shape of his face, which was helpful. Most of the pictures they had of him were from his old Marine Corps ID, with the classic jarhead cut that revealed the shape of the skull beneath. June Cassidy liked to tease him by saying he'd be cute with a man bun. He found her seated on the far side of a table outside Collectivo Coffee, across the street from the public market. She sat sideways in her chair, looking in the opposite direction. He tossed the blue sweatshirt onto the table. Hey, toots, he said. You order yet? June held up her hand, still staring up the street. Hang on. She wore a black Pussy Riot shirt under a running pullover and crisp mountain pants. Her bike was chained to a meter twenty feet away. She did not seem relaxed. Lewis eased onto a stool like a lion into a crouch, following her gaze. He had coffee-brown skin and tight-cropped hair, black Levi's, and an NWA sweatshirt with the sleeves cut off. Let me guess, he said. Weird-looking dude with the beard. Coming our way? June nodded. Red hat and jacket. Something's wrong with him, but I can't figure it out. Searching the sidewalk, Peter walked around the table and took the seat next to June his back against the building's brick. Old habits weren't always bad habits. The weird-looking dude was a quarter block away. His baseball cap was pulled down tight over mirrored sunglasses and a heavy beard. The black strap of some kind of bag, probably a backpack, showed over his right shoulder. Peter couldn't figure out what was wrong with him either. But June was right. There was definitely something strange. Maybe it was the way he walked, fast but without swinging his arms, his elbows tight at his sides. The guy wasn't clocking them at all. He stared across St. Paul toward the glass-walled public market with its rows of sidewalk benches and umbrella tables packed with office workers soaking up the autumn sun on their lunch break. As the guy got closer... Peter could see the Cardinals logo on his cap and across the chest of his jacket, two birds on a baseball bat. The day was sunny and warm, so the hat and sunglasses made sense, but the baggy jacket didn't, especially zipped to the neck. It was hard to tell the size of him underneath it, but Peter could see some bulk in the torso. Maybe he was a gym rat trying to sweat off some weight. 
The ball cap and razor shades told Peter something else. Some of his Marines had worn that look overseas, and many more after they mustered out. It was a way to project toughness, to make yourself unreadable, and also a way to hide the rawness of your emotions, even from yourself. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.